What's going on, boxing fans around the world? It is Friday, September 4th, and welcome to another episode of For All the Belts, the boxing podcast that will keep you updated. I am your host, Jacob Ibarra. This week, we saw some important updates about fighters and potential future fights. Today, we kick things off with the former king of the cruiserweights, Alexander Usyk. Usyk has been pretty vocal recently, saying he wants to face unified champion Anthony Joshua before Joshua agrees to a fight with the Gypsy King himself, Tyson Fury. Alexander Usyk is the WBO mandatory challenger to Anthony Joshua, so he has every right to fight for the belt. For those who don't know, Usyk is the mandatory to Joshua because he won the WBO cruiserweight title, along with all the other belts, and cruiserweight being the division right below the heavyweight division. According to the WBO, a champion who vacates the title for the purpose of going to a new weight class, that fighter is the automatic number one contender to whoever has that title of that new weight class. Although Usyk is the mandatory to Joshua, he first needs to get past top 15 or top 10 depending on which rankings you're looking at, heavyweight Derek Chisora in October. If the Ukrainian is successful next month, he will definitely try to enforce his mandatory status to be Joshua's next fight. Now one of two things can happen in this situation. The first, if he wins his IBF mandatory defense, would be that Joshua fights Usyk after and puts his unification fight with Tyson Fury at great risk with a potential loss to Usyk. The other would be that Joshua wins and decides to pursue the Fury fight that make another mandatory defense. In that case, Anthony Joshua would face the possibility of being stripped of his WBO title. If stripped, Usyk would fight the next top contender, according to the WBO rankings, and fight for the vacant title. Now, it is not known how probable the latter would be if Joshua defends his IBF title successfully against Kubrat Pulev. More than likely, what would happen, the WBO would be okay with having Usyk get a mandatory shot at the champ after a unification fight between Joshua and Fury. I mean, because it's not every day you get a future matchup between two heavyweight champions in their primes for all the belts. Ha! <laughs> I did the pun again. Anyways, belt organizations tend to bend the rules a little when unification fights can be made. Especially ones that will, you know, make a lot of money. But let's see what happens with Usyk first in October. This is the first real test for him in his new division. Chisora might not be an Olympic-level boxer like his opponent, but he is a real heavyweight. Chisora hits like a heavyweight, meaning he has good power in that right hand of his, which makes up you know, for the lack of boxing skills, compared to Usyk. Not everyone can be an Olympic gold medalist, but in the heavyweight division, any heavy-handed fighter has the chance to put somebody away. And then when you're a heavyweight, you need good power. You have good power, you have a good chance of winning. Moving on to the next topic for discussion, the monster is coming soon, people. 
Unified Bantamweight Champion and World Boxing Super Series winner Naoya Inoue is making his top-ranked debut this fall. He will be putting his WBA and IBF titles on the line as he faces Australia's Jason Maloney in the bubble in Las Vegas. Maloney has actually fought in the bubble already when he finished Leonard Baez in the seventh round back in June. Inoue, however, hasn't fought since defeating Nonito Donaire back in November to win the World Boxing Super Series. Inoue was supposed to make his top-ranked debut back in April against WBO champion John Riel Casimero, but since there was a little thing called a pandemic that hit, that fight had to be canceled. Casimero also decided to move on from the Inoue fight and is fighting a new opponent since it was unknown when Inoue would be allowed to come into the country. Now that the champ has a visa, there is no issue for Inoue to travel internationally. The final hurdle, though, for the Inoue fight to happen is a minor broadcasting issue. As of now, he has a deal with a Japanese broadcaster to show his fights live back in his native country of Japan, and due to the time difference, everyone just needs to figure out if there is no conflict with the fight taking place on October 31st in the States and on November 1st in Japan. <laughs> it's kind of funny. His nickname is The Monster and he's fighting on, on Halloween. Can't make that up, people. But regardless of this, it is great news to know that possibly the most exciting boxer is coming back in less than two months. Got to live for those, those kind of things when you're a boxing fan. Moving on to the co-main event, there seems to be a bit of drama with uh, boxing's biggest active superstar. According to some reports, Canelo and DeZone are not on the same page. There's a good chance we won't see the Mexican star step in the ring this year. The main reason for that would be because DeZone does not want to give him the full purse of $35 million for his next fight. DeZone wants Canelo to take a pay cut by about 50% if he were to finalize a deal with super middleweight, WBA, and ring magazine champion, Callum Smith. Remember, Canelo signed a huge contract with DeZone, a 10-fight deal worth $350 million. DeZone gave him this contract thinking he would fight with a premier opponent once a year and fight twice a year. Last year, Canelo fought good quality opponents like Daniel Jacobs and Sergei Kovalev. However, DeZone did not think either of them were premier opponents, or in that case, op opponents that would help increase subscriptions for DeZone. What they really want is for Canelo to do the trilogy with Gennady Golovkin after seeing the success, the success both fights had for HBO. The trilogy is the main reason why DeZone decided to give Golovkin a rich deal of his own. But instead of Golovkin, Canelo wants the number one super middleweight in Smith, while DeZone does not consider Smith as a premier opponent, thus asking Canelo to take a pay cut. I understand Calm Smith doesn't 
doesn't have the name recognition of a Triple G. But which fighter has a name big enough at middleweight or super middleweight to be considered a premier opponent? Daniel Jacobs was the IBF middleweight champion and fought in a unification fight against Canelo. It's a big deal. Sergei Kovalev was the WBO light heavyweight champion and Canelo went up two weight classes to be the first Mexican fighter to win a light heavyweight title. Again, a big deal. Canelo made boxing history, but still had a fight that was not viewed as very significant for DAZN. So, besides Gennady Golovkin, which fighter has a big enough name for, you know, DAZN standards to face Canelo? So, you know, we'll see if this year we get a Canelo fight or not. And 2020 just keeps on being a strange year. And now we have arrived at the main event of the episode. This weekend, we are getting a pair of title fights on ESPN and on Fox. This Saturday, on ESPN, WBO Junior Lightweight Champion Jamel Herring defends his title against Jonathan Okendo. This is the third attempt at making this fight, actually. The former Marine and current champ Herring tested positive for COVID-19 twice before his bouts against Okendo, resulting in a reschedule. The original date these two were supposed to fight was July 2nd, but it had to be pushed back to the 14th, which then got delayed again, and now here we are. Now the fight is finally happening, excuse me, finally happening on September 5th. This fight with Okendo is mostly a stay-busy title defense for Jamel Herring. If he gets past Okendo like he's supposed to, he has a showdown with former champion Carl Frampton waiting for him. Although not a champion currently, the Carl Frampton fight would be the most high-profile fight of Herring's career up to date. But first, he needs to, give, he needs to defeat Okendo, who will give Herring a good fight to get, you know, to get some quality rounds in. Typically, this would be a dangerous fight for the champ because historically, you know, fighters have struggled in those fights that are right before the big one that they have waiting for them. However, in this case, the circumstances are a little different. Herring has had his fight postponed multiple times, extending his training camp to be longer than usual. So I'm sure he's more than ready to just finally step in the ring and fight. The second title fight that will be on that will be part of this weekend is on Sunday, September 6th, on Fox, between Jordanis Ugas and Abel Ramos for the vacant WBA regular welterweight title. Ramos earned this title shot after getting a come-from-behind knockout victory in the final round against Bryant Perella. If that, if that fight went to the scorecards, Ramos would have lost by a majority decision. Ugas, on the other hand, is looking to win his first title on Sunday. He came really close to be a world champ against Sean Porter back in March of 2019. Although losing a split decision, I thought he did enough to pull off the upset against Porter. But you know, 
The judges can't see everything sometimes. Since losing, Ugas has won back-to-back fights against against, um, Omar Figueroa Jr. and Mike Dallas Jr. Hmm. Fighting a lot of juniors. Anyways, a win and a new title for Ugas could help him a lot in trying to get the fights he's been begging for. A potential rematch with Porter could be possible, especially with Porter winning his last fight not too long ago. Ugas has also been calling for a showdown against WBO champion Terrence Crawford. That would be a good matchup for both fighters, but, you know, priority first, Ugas needs to win on Sunday. And now we have reached the judges' scorecards, the end of the show where I bring up three topics I didn't get around to talking in detail, like the main talking points, but they still deserve a shout-out. Earlier this week, TMZ reported that the UFC is finalizing two fights, a welterweight title fight between the champ Kamaru Usman and top contender Gilbert Burns. The other fight that is in the works is a rematch for the BMF title Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz. The Usman-Burns fight would be scheduled for the end of the year card in December, and the BMF rematch would take place in January of 2021. Although not official, these are good fights to watch in the near future. I know this is a boxing podcast, but I'm also a big MMA fan, so do not be alarmed when I bring up MMA-related news. Also, I know this is an unpopular opinion, but hear me out. I would rather see the Usman-Burns fight rather than a rematch between Masvidal and Diaz. One is a fresh matchup for the title, the actual title. And the other one, it's a rematch. I, already, I saw what happened the first time. I don't, I don't think anything new is going to happen in the second fight. So, you know, I'm good. Give me the fresh matchup. Now, back to boxing-related news. This week, there was a very, um, very strange and surprising update to the rankings in the boxing middleweight division. According to the WBA rankings, former middleweight king Sergio Martinez, at the age of 45, is a top 10 middleweight. Okay, okay, let me explain. Sergio Martinez recently came out of retirement for a comeback fight against a fighter named Jose Miguel Fandino in Spain. You know, Martinez lives in Spain, fought a Spanish fighter, basically... He had his quote-unquote farewell fight in his home country of Spain, even though he's from Argentina. But anyways, it was basically a fight for Martinez to end his career, you know, with the win, instead of his horrible loss against Miguel Cotto. And even though Fandino wasn't a real challenge or ranked anywhere near the top 10, the WBA decided to put Martinez at number 6 in their rankings. I just have one question. Why? Again, I'll ask the same I'll ask it again. Why? That move is nothing short of disgraceful and really just disrespectful to other fighters who are actually fighting tougher opposition. Not a good move at all by the WBA. Shame. 
on a more positive note, this week is also the eight-year anniversary of the HBO debut of Kazakhstan's favorite champion, Gennady Triple G Golovkin. Triple G scored a fifth-round knockout against Gregor Proxa. I remember watching this fight in the living room with my grandfather and thinking, man, he's a fun guy to watch. Has an exciting style and a really cool nickname. If you're wondering why, you know, for the people who aren't, are just catching up on their boxing, if you want to know why his nickname is Triple G, is because his middle name also starts with the G. Gennady Gennadyevich Golovkin. But little did I know, I was going to witness an awesome run on HBO and that Triple G would end up being my favorite boxer after his first fight on HBO. I was all in on Golovkin. If it weren't for the Proxa fight, I probably would have been late to the Triple G bandwagon. I probably would not have seen him live at the Dignity Health Center, or whatever you want to call it, when he fought Marco Antonio Rubio and created a huge Mexican fan base for himself. I probably would not have gone to Madison Square Garden either and seen him beat Daniel Jacobs. That night on HBO really was the start of something special. And I'm really glad I got to, you know, witness it and be there, watch it from the beginning. Well, that's it for today, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of For All the Belts. I'll be back soon to talk more about the fights, the news, and more boxing-related topics. I am Jacob Ibarra saying thank you, and till the next episode.